Blog Talk Radio. Of the players is 70 games. 
And so one would think, why can't you meet at 65? But that's a different story. So um, the thought is that these, these sides are $150 million in losses apart. That's where they are. Um, so the gulf between the owners say they're going to lose money every game. Okay, fine. If you, go, if you take that at face value, the difference between 60-game season, 70-game season is actually $300 million in losses. If they were to meet at 65, obviously that's $150 million in losses, which could be amortized over 30 clubs pretty quickly. And most people are saying that, you know, if you amortize 150 over 30 teams, you're looking at the price of maybe a number three or number four starter for one season. You know, why can't they just suck it up and do it? So, so that's where they are. Owners are at 60. They're not going to change their offer. Um, in their offer, they also want expanded playoffs, you know, universal DH, um, few other things that are player friendly players are saying nope 60 is not enough games we want 70 and so they're kind of at odds right now they haven't had much conversation since uh, friday and apparently now we have a new wrinkle and that would be that the players were supposed to vote and say look it's time to you know what or get off the pot either we'll take 60 or we're just going to have the commissioner impose a schedule and deal with it uh, we want to get to the topic of grievances later. If the commissioner were to impose a, a schedule, odds are both sides to file a grievance, and we'll touch on that later, what that means. Um, but, okay, so you have all that. Either take it or leave it, or the commissioner imposes a, uh, a schedule. But now, with all the recent coronavirus spiking, we know that at least five Philadelphia Phillies have uh, tested positive. Lots of players in the NFL and NHL are testing positive. So now there's a brand-new enemy. Now it's like even if we could get agreement on the money and, you know, maybe it's 64 games or whatever the heck it is, we have to make sure there's a heightened awareness, although it was always there, it's heightened now, about getting testing protocols in place and, and the need for safety is higher than ever because of the recent spikes in cases. And also um, you have the shutdown of all spring training facilities in Florida and Arizona, which are the two um, two most hardest two hardest hit areas, so they they are now closed for sanitizing. So all of that is weighing on the players' minds as well. So they delayed a vote today. They were supposed to vote today on the 60, take it or leave it. They delayed that vote. It might come tonight, might come tomorrow, because now they're thinking about um, well, okay, it goes beyond the issue of number of games. There's the safety protocols. Are we comfortable with all this? So I guess where it stands is we have a couple of options. Players could say, we reject 60, go ahead, commissioner, impose a schedule. Commissioner will do it uh, because I think he will because he has. So I don't think he's going to call off the season. Um, and then they'll go forward down that path. They could work something out somewhere between 60 and 70. That would be optimal. And one last thing I'll say about that is it is apparent that although Rob Manfred is powerless, and we know that, he, he's just the mouthpiece for the owners. He doesn't have any real power. Um, but what he did today was he reached out to Tony Clark and said, look, I can't change number of games, but I can tell you that if we don't play the season through, DH is not a given thing for next year. Expanded playoffs not a given thing. We'll take that out. So this way you'll have two more leverage points if we were to renegotiate next year, which is seen as player friendly. So you have, in summary, all of what I just said, increased concern about safety and the fact that the commissioner, though he can't alter the big thing, which is the number of games, 
He did try to make a last-minute pot sweetener to Tony Clark. Union has taken that under advisement. They haven't voted yet. They will, and we'll see where we are. That's the update. Uh, thank you so much for getting that together in such a, a concise manner, Rich. Um, and it's it's both Mike. Where you know where do we go from here? It's both. Well, there's so many different things. We we of course have repeated ourselves numerous times on this podcast during this COVID nineteen, but it's only because they keep running in circles in many ways. So uh, when when you see this, Mike, I think uh, like I. I and again, going back to that nuance, um, it's both, you know, is it worth it? But at the same time, where does it end? Uh, from, from, like, is it worth it to have the season? But at what point do we just say, all right, we're going to have to take risks? That's what life is, uh, you know, all, all that jazz, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, and I'm kind of torn between the two right now. Because I know part of it is my impatience and just wanting baseball back, but I, I think it's also practical to think, well, we, we, life has to go on at some point. Well, you said it. It's nuanced. It's, it's so complicated. Uh, you know, not playing at all, canceling the season outright is still a viable option as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it would certainly be better than this public bickering and this dog chasing its own tail. Uh, that's a problem. And being that they're so close, uh, you know, let's just call it 10 games, uh, whatever the specifics may be. If they're 10 games apart, if the owners want 60 and the players want 70, well, they need to lock themselves in a room and, you know, keep themselves locked in there and not come out until they come up with a compromise or an agreement. Uh, they're too close, uh, and they're embarrassing to themselves, uh, and they should keep in mind uh, that they really need to save face at this point. Uh, I hope they understand that. And and maybe, you know, there's a couple of adults in the room. But I would also, you know, have to lay this. Uh, the ownership ownership group is obviously splintered. Uh, there's differing degrees of, de- of desperation amongst them, some more desperate than others. And I, and I think that's playing itself out. The players are complete uni- completely unified in this. Uh, it's the owners who keep wavering uh, and, and trying to keep pushing their agenda forward. And then I would have to bring the commissioner. I know I'm going to throw you guys a change up on this one, but I have to bring the commissioner into this uh, and, and saying, insofar as saying that he's doing a piss poor job. Uh, yes, he's hired and paid for, you know, paid by the owners, but the primary responsibility is the best interests of baseball, you know, and, and you take a look at ownership and their history with the commissioners over the years. You know, when they got, sick and tired of a guy named William Eckert. They hired Bowie Kuhn, who was already in the loop of baseball. You know, he worked at a law firm that represented baseball. Which uh, is to say that he wasn't an outsider. But after him, you know, you got to bring in Peter Ubroth came from off campus. As bad as he was, and got the owners in, into trouble with collusion. Peter Ubroth was off campus. Bartlett Giamatti was one of the worst things that ever happened to baseball, his passing. You know, he was off campus. Uh, Faye Vincent, he was off campus. And ousting Faye Vincent, you know, that was a coup d'etat. So what they do, they brought in another insider, Bud Selig. And I think this is just a continuation of uh, these guys 
the owners that is, uh, not operating necessarily in the best interest of baseball more so than they are operating in the best interest of themselves. And I put that on the commissioner. The commissioner is the one who's supposed to keep these guys in check. He works for them, but one of his primary functions is also to keep them in check and keep them on the straight and narrow. See, but right now what you have, uh, let's call it, it's a cartel, a working cartel in, in a cooperation with the commissioner's office to work against the union. Because, you know, the longer this goes on, the more I can't help but think this is, you know, uh, attempts, mild attempts at union busting and, and see how far they can take this. Uh, leading up to the next collective bargaining negotiation, which is going to be next year uh, in December. So if they're this close, quant, get in a room, hammer out a deal, play baseball. You're going to cancel the season? Cancel the season. We could probably understand better, you know, canceling it over health concerns. You know, obviously there's a ton of those that I didn't even touch upon, but I, I could much better deal with them canceling the season outright than having them continue to bicker like babies, and time is wasting. Time is wasting. They may not have any choice but to play some, you know, foolish amount like 40 or 50 games. Let's hope they can come up with 65 at least. That's a compromise. Uh, I, I rambled on. Go ahead, Sam. No, I mean, it, you, it, hey, Mike, you know, it's what our audience is curious about. It's what we're curious about. And, and Rich, you know, I was just scanning through the tweets, and you were talking before the uh, you were talking before about uh, Joel Schumer. Excuse me, I'm sorry, Joel Sherman's article about the silent majority. I, I was hoping that you could elaborate on that as well. Well, yeah, and I thought Joel Sherman made an excellent point in today's post, where he's talking about the fact that what we hear as fans, you know, consumers of media, is we hear the hawks on both sides. You know, we hear the Scott Boris, who is the hawk on the union side, saying, you know, this is egregious, you know, this is this is outrageous, we have to play more games. And, and of course, Scott Boris, you know, is, is personally interested in doing what's best for the players. Fine, that's his job. He does his job. On the other side... You hear the hawks on the ownership side, you know, saying, oh, you know, six owners say we have to cancel the season, you know, just not even play. And so what you hear is extremism on both sides. What Joel Sherman suggested today is that. Sounds familiar. Right, right, exactly. That's the world we're living in right now is we hear extremism on both sides of any issue. But what Joel Sherman said is that, uh, you know, his opinion or what he's heard from people is that, Really, there are more people on both sides clustered toward the middle, you know, who want to make a deal, who are willing to give and take, but they're being shouted down by the hawks on the extremes of both sides. So what there, if there's hope, which Joel Sherman points out in his article, if there's hope, that hope is that the people who are not, you know, maybe they're not the player reps, maybe they're the alternate player reps, or maybe they're rank and file, they might actually pick up the phone and call their pay- player reps, as we should as citizens of a democracy, and call up, pick up the phone and call our Congress people and say, look, this is not what I want. I don't want this bickering. I want this to end. I'm willing to give this. You know, I'm willing to say 
62 games is enough. You know, it, it's obvi- an obvious number from a 162-game season, at least 62. You could say there's some symmetry. I don't know, whatever the heck. But but maybe it's time for the moderates on both sides to strong-arm the, the Hawks and, and, and push them out of the way a little bit. Because if they outnumber them, they could just say, look, okay, enough is enough. We don't think you're representing our opinion. We think you're representing your opinion. But if, if, the, cult, you know, if the culture on both sides is clustered toward the middle, if those opinions start to be the ones that are at the table, then you might have an agreement. Because like Mike said, like you said, Sam, they're 10 games apart. Now, we don't know where they are in testing protocols. Andy Martino claims that they're very close. That won't be an issue. Okay, fine. Is that still the case with all the spikes? Don't know. Have no way of knowing. But talking about the money stuff, if they are literally 10 games apart, Maybe if the moderates on both sides can influence the Hawks to, to back down a little bit and truly represent their opinion, if they are, in fact, the silent majority, which is what Sherman said, then why in the living hell can't we get a deal? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Um, but as we've also said, look what just happened in the two places that they were planning on going to spring training and. Uh, I, I guess, Mike, you know, I, I was thinking about, and, and of course, uh, maybe just in terms of the specific of the Dodgers in 1944 doing it in Bear Mountain. Now, mind you, that was in like March and April when he did it, when Branch Rickey did it, and it was still snow up there. The Jets and the Giants uh, usually play in, I believe, both New York and New Jersey. Um, and that is uh, flip-flop in terms of the respectiveness of that. So, uh, what, it, 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 it's probably really hard to pack everything up that you were planning on just having at your complex where everybody always is uh, and doing something up there, but it seems that that is probably what some of the uh, executives and everybody else in, are, are considering is, you know, is, is this what is going to end up having to cancel the season on top of the fact that players – continue to test positive for it. And obviously those are keeping anonymous. Well, whatever plan they potentially come up with is going to be a logistical nightmare. And I don't mean that because they're incompetent. I just mean it's going to be that difficult. Uh, You know, hey, hey, go ahead. Go practice upstate. Give the Catskills some, some, you know, some exposure. I'm all for it, you know, Uh, because Florida is out of the question. Florida's spiking. They had over 7,400 confirmed cases today alone. They're on the way up. Uh, and, and you look back. So, the so yesterday it was like three something. So like, I mean, it was like three or four thousand the other day. So you're saying today, because I hadn't checked this, it was 7,400. That is correct. That is correct. So you know they're they're lighting up like uh, the Fourth of July over there. And you look back to where they handled spring break. You know they were resistive to shutting down from from the onset. Uh, and you know, looking back now, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But they, that governor did a deplorable job down there, especially considering the the senior uh, population in Florida. Uh, look, there's been a, 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 a we talked about it last show a, a, a massive lack of cohesion as to in, as far as how to handle this pandemic versus other countries uh, where they had one standard policy and everybody was on board. You know, uh, state by state over here, obviously, uh, is working with varying results, you know, and starts. some states are only now starting to go through what 
you know, we here in the tri-state area uh, spent the last three months trying to, you know, flatten that curve, so to say, and, and, and get back to quote unquote uh, uh, normal, a normal life again. So some of these states are only getting started, and it's their own fault. Uh, I blame city, state, and national government for lack of cohesion. Uh, a lot of bickering uh, and uh, a huge lack of cooperation across the board. Uh, poor logistics, etc., uh, etc. Et so I'm not looking to make this political, but you know, because of the mass confusion that exists beyond baseball, well, then how the hell is baseball going to get that crap together and actually, you know, execute a modified season? Logistical nightmare. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, if we're talking about the numbers, Rich, New York continues to go down, but they are also just reopening. We are also we are just reopening. You you can speak to Connecticut, of course, and you know now it's going to be looking to see what the the numbers are over the next few weeks, especially with the protests. It's it's all very interesting stuff, and, and and the virus doesn't seem to have. That's the crazy part. They can learn only so much, and they have learned certain things, or at least what they're telling us. And it, the virus seems to continue to adapt. You know, and, and it would make sense. Both Florida and Arizona are retirement villages. Uh, you know, entire states basically that you could conceive as retirement villages. So. Um, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, like Mike has said, we're watching history happen. And from the New York perspective, it's going to be very interesting to see over the next few weeks. Yeah, you know, the uh, Connecticut, you mentioned Connecticut, it it has currently the lowest rate of transmission in the country, which is great. I mean, um, and we're averaging, it's two digits now. It's like 80 new cases a day, whereas in March, April, May, it was 500 one day, 600 another, 700 and 500. It was just insane, you know, for a state with only 3.5 million people. And now we're down to 80 cases a day. And, uh, and that's great. And I, and I think it's because strict laws like in New York and New Jersey, are, you know, face mask required um, unless you can socially distance, face mask required when you go to the grocery store, blah, 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 blah. And what you're seeing is in states where – I hesitate to say it wasn't taken as seriously, but maybe we'll say the controls weren't as serious. You know, like Florida. You know, you saw the uh, the pictures from South Beach about a month ago where everybody was in the bar and nobody had a mask on and all this kind of stuff. So where the protocols were not as strict and, and they were kind of snickering at the, at the tri-state area saying you guys are, you know, limiting yourselves and you're killing your own economies. Well, now those are the states that are suffering now because they didn't put those strict measures in place. So how does that impact baseball? Well, you know, what do the Marlins do? I mean, do they practice in, in Miami? It's easy for the Mets and Yankees, you know, Cuomo just said, that they'll both do spring training here, which is great. But what do the Marlins do? What do the Rays do? You know, and, and then the Blue Jays, by the way, if you've read about them, their spring training home is in Dunedin, Florida, on the West Coast, which is, you know, a hot spot, of course. And they don't want to go there. And, and they don't want to do it in Canada either because Canada doesn't want the uh, – they don't want that kind of commotion there. They pretty much told them, you're not doing it here. So um, the Blue Jays are kind of orphans at this point. They're going to have to find a place to go. So what does this all mean? I mean, it, you, you know, when you peel it back, you do have to ask yourself, 
are we trying to get sports going again because we miss it and we want normalcy or because it's the right thing to do? And I think, you know, you all know where that one kind of lands because the NBA now, they want to do Orlando as a bubble. Well, you know what? Florida's one of the worst places in the country. Really want to do that? And some of the NBA players are saying they don't want to do that. Um, the NHL, I mean, while they're, you know, great guns going forward, they're going to go forward. Players were testing positive in the NHL. A couple of Maple Leafs did. So, you know, you have it there. Too. I mean, it's the Simpsons movie. We're, we're, yeah. we're, going to put, we're going to put people in the dome. I mean, there's a lot of things, obviously. The, 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 the obviously, you know, uh, they've, uh, Simpsons was spoofing many different times. That You know, we were also talking Biodome, whatever. I've never even really seen the movie, ironically. But um, it, it's, this is very, this is very strange, Mike. Uh, and sometimes I'm not so sure, like how to, like you know, I keep saying, I'm not sure so sure which direction to go. But when I hear about domes, uh, it's, it's just like. It's scary. It's certainly scary, one way or the other. What, you know, however the the entire thing is working out, uh, we we know one way or another that something could wipe out human existence as we know it. And it, so when you see something like this, and other people are, you know, like like you know, be a traditional man. We could go in in at this, which is of course, you know, you see more men are getting sick. So. Like it, it, it's it's tough because at the same time I've always been about like like George Carlin's famous line when I was a kid we used to swim in the East River it strengthened the immune system uh, <laughs> but but at the same time I do know that there's things out there trying to kill us that aren't just other human beings and you you do have to think about it, like like when we're saying oh come on it, it's not that serious it very well could be because we you know we know things could wipe out wipe humans off the face of the earth right right look you know coronavirus doesn't give a damn about baseball doesn't give a damn about you and you and me who are rich it just wants a host whatever host that is uh, we know that uh, you know. There's a reason why necessity is the mother of all invention. And it works. It works well. If you look back through history, it works. That's why this baseball situation, they can't come up with a reasonable solution because the whole thing is just wholly contrived. There is no necessity here. And that's why they're having such a problem. Uh, you know, they're putting a, a square peg in a round hole. And, and, and you know me, Sam, the seven Ps... And they screwed this up from get, from the get-go. What are the seven Ps? Proper prior planning prevents piss-poor performance. And, and they've gotten it wrong since day one. Uh, we're in the latter part of June. And, you know, they've had three months to work this out. Uh, pandemic aside, logistically, baseball, they've had three months to work this out, and they couldn't get it done. Just children, 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 children. You know that's that's all I can, that's the only way I see it. Children arguing over nothing because ten games is just that nothing. Uh, so there's no solution because this is wholly contrived. There's no there's no necessity here. 
and therefore, you know, no invention that's going to save us. Yeah, it's it's tough because the necessity becomes a nuanced conversation too because you can go into the idea that we all need an outlet. Um, all over Brooklyn, all over the Bronx, all over even parts of Manhattan, um, I, and uh, I'm guessing parts of Queens and, and who knows about Staten Island. I don't know about Staten Island. I don't know enough about Staten Island. There's probably a lot of cool things in Staten Island I should know about. But what I do know is that there's fireworks that I have never seen, Rich, going off all over the town. And and actually, before I go to you, Rich, about it, Mike, have you noticed this as well out in Bensonhurst? Hell yeah, fireworks. And just, and just as I and just as I say, and just as I say it, I hear it outside. I've never in my time here, uh, and and you know, not to point out that you're an older man than I. Uh, from your experience, have you ever seen the technology that that just random individuals have right now? <laughs> no, uh, obviously, uh, like everything else. Fireworks have evolved, but you know, uh, fireworks have been going on for about two weeks now. I noticed a little bit last year, a lot more this year. It looks like they're making a comeback. It's all about enforcement, you know. De Blasio, he's not that good at certain things. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I've never, you know, this. I think, I think De Blasio allows us to talk political. In only the way that I have never seen a poli- I have never seen a politician hated by both sides more than the, our current New York City mayor. Uh, Rich, go, going to you, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've seen some of my posts of this. Uh, from what you know of the city, have you ever seen anything like it? No, no, it, it, I've never. <laughs> with what's going on right now, you know, you guys are talking about fireworks. Talking, you know, earlier we were talking about statues being taken down. You're just here. Um, in, in, a, in New Haven, Connecticut, which is not terribly far from where I live, up you know farther up the coast, um, they took a statue of Christopher Columbus down. You know, there's like all this wacky stuff going on. So yeah, no, I, I've never seen like this in my lifetime. I, I mean, honestly, it's just um, it's whether it's fireworks or whether it's um, you know the protests. I remember you, you, I've seen protests before. I, maybe not quite to this scale, but. But I've seen political protests before, and, and okay, fine, uh, that's one of our rights as, as American people. But with what's going on in general, you know, with the taking down of the statues and all that kind of stuff, and in, in my opinion, in some cases warranted, um, you know, it's just it's a wacky time we're living in. And, and, and maybe, and I, like I said last week, I know that owners and players are not thinking about, you know, normalcy and about the well-being of the country. They're not giving that a, a nanosecond of a thought. But maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why we're all pushing to get sports back so hard, is we know that maybe it's not the right thing to do at this point. The evidence is pretty compelling, um, that you're subjecting guys to you know getting sick, seasons that may not be able to be continued. You saw Fauci earlier this week who said he doesn't see any scenario where the NFL can complete an actual season, but yet they're like, we're going to go forward. Uh, but maybe the reason we want this stuff back so much is, yeah, we miss it, but also – we need a stabilizing force. You know, we need something to to just remind us that um, of who we are and what we do. You know, sports is a great equalizer. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, but, no, I, th- these are unprecedented times yeah. for me as well. You know, Mike, sometimes there's just a moment um, when 
it, it welcomes you to the century. I would probably, uh, you can maybe point World War One as that back in the 20th century, maybe the Depression, uh, even stronger, arguably, from an American standpoint specifically. But I feel as if, you know, welcome to 2020, this is the 21st century. I'm a little conflicted, Sam. That's why I took. That's why I paused. Uh, welcome to 2020. Take that with a grain of salt, everyone. Take that with a grain of salt, and this is why. Earlier today, my son, were, my son and I were watching. What's my name? Muhammad Ali documentary part one. And. In the 60s, the protesting and the signage and the message was goddamn near to the letter the same as today. So, welcome to 2020? No. We should be embarrassed that it's 2020. And if you really, really want to step back and take a look, nothing has really dramatically changed. Uh, yes, you know, that that's a blanket statement. Yes, things do change, but the problem still exists in a, in, in a major, major way. Uh, so that took me aback, Sam. Welcome to 2020. Well, here, here's, here's how I, I, I frame it. Uh, in well, that we do have the same problems. We do have the same. We do have the same. But uh, I mean, like we do have the same problems. But now we have to deal with them in a 21st century manner, and that is that's the way this entire thing, this entire way of life, just we just ran into the brick wall this year, and now we have to deal with with how we live in 2020. Well, I think that's easy to say today in the in the world of, you know, evolved technology and the Internet, this and that and the other. But the bottom line is people needed to take to the streets to deliver their message today just like they did 50 and 60 years ago. That hasn't changed. I don't care what evolutions in technology and science, et cetera, have taken place over those years. The method... The, the method of de, uh, of delivery of that message still needed to take place in the streets, and protest wasn't meant to be pretty. It's just not. Uh, and I'm leaping off my soapbox. Please stop me. That I, you know, I was just taking 2020 in the microcosm. Caught me a little bit off guard only because I saw that documentary, and it's not lost on me. But it's the same conversation we're having over and over and over again. At some point, you know, I, look, a lot of this I blame on government because a lot of these bastards have been in office all my frigging life. That's part of the problem. That's why things don't change. So every time you look at the TV, people in the House and the Senate, they've been there for decade upon decade upon decade. And that's why things are slow. It's not the only reason why they're slow. It's just one reason of a vast array of reasons. 
stop me, Sam. Stop me. Change the subject or, or move on to Rich. I'm, 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 ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a Metzian podcast. We're just over a half hour into it. Is that okay, Mike? There we go, right? There you go, baby. <laughs> well, I love it. There you go. I'm I love it when we. I do love it when we expand our horizons. Uh, we are a full service podcast, as much as we we like to say, because this is a baseball podcast. This is a Metzian. This is a Metzian podcast. That you, you, we don't want to go down those rabbit holes uh, all that often, but we try to deliver them to you in as nuanced a manner as possible without becoming extremely opinionated and, and, and bickering and, and doing what the, the extremes of today uh, are, are have you do right now and as another firework goes off. Uh, so, so, Rich, before we move on to the... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Sam. You know, I said it, what, two... And it's a it's a common phrase, you know. Baseball mirrors life, and life mirrors baseball. And here we are. Here we yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's it, it's that that's what they've said about baseball in this country since the beginning, Rich. And before we, you know, I think that's a good segue in ter- ter- in terms of our history. But I wanted to go to you first before we ever get into any uh, uh, uniform number. In terms of that, you know, what, what are some of your things? What are, what are some of the things on your mind from a Metzian perspective during all this time and with everything we're going? It would be a nice distraction just to talk a little Mets, right? Yeah, it would be, and, and that's the problem. Is you know, there, there's no talk of player movement. There's no talk of, uh, you know, what what's the starting rotation going to look like for this team or that team. I know people try to get stuff like that going, but it doesn't really take because it's just overshadowed by the ugliness of the whole thing, by the bickering, uh, you know, between the, the owners and the players. And, and like Mike was saying, it, it, it's kind of like it's just, it's just a microcosm of society right now. You know, it's all about the bickering. It's all about – you know, I don't like you because of your opinion. You don't like me because of my opinion. It's just baseball is 100% mirroring society as it always does. You know, that's where we are as a country. We know there's a lot of infighting going on right now, just like the late 60s or mid-60s into the late 60s. And right now there's a lot of infighting in baseball. You know, we, we can't come together as a, as a country on anything, and baseball and its owners can't come together on anything either. And... Um, it's just it's a it's a think back guys think back to whatever you were doing on New Year's Eve this past year December 31st of 19 did you ever think that the curtain was going to come up on this I mean everything going on virus wise civil unrest wise um, the various political stuff going on it's just like it's almost like you know the lovely Carol Merrill if you're those who remember the uh, you know the Let's Make a Deal show. Behind that curtain was just a pile of shit and nothing but shit. And that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing. And, you know, it's like you should have taken the Kenmore Frost-Free Freezer it's just, instead of what's behind door number two. Because behind door number two, just, you got screwed, brother. You know? It, it's just a rotary phone, just an average rotary phone. <laughs> you, you don't really need another one. You already have three in the house. Never room. <laughs> Give me something specific. Ask me a specific question so I don't go off the rails. Okay. Well, you know, maybe it'll be a, a nice thing to go down some trivia. So what is today? Today's June 21st, right? 
All right, June 21st, I'm going to put in a random year. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, well, why don't we do – actually, this is not even that random of a year because we're talking about labor strife. So let's go to June 21st, 1994, Mets, and they played the Braves. Let's see what happened this day. Oh, unfortunately, our Mets lost. Four to three to the forty-five twenty-three Braves, making or to the now forty-five twenty-three Braves, making them uh, thirty-two and thirty-eight. So, I will ask either of you, and and um, let's just see some random stuff that I can come up with. Um, first of all, without looking at this, the game, who pitched for Atlanta? Uh, a rich. Oh, God. June twenty-first, uh, nineteen ninety-four. I'm going to say it was, uh, and I have no reason why I'm saying this, I'm going to say it was Steve Avery. Oh! <laughs> well done. Well done. Was it Steve Avery? Uh, yeah. Yep. Steve Avery yeah. Uh, pitched, seven, pitched uh, seven innings that day, uh, got, uh, gave up six hits, three runs, two earned. Walked three, struck out three, and he and he left with an ERA of 3.79. But here's another question for you, Rich, because it sounds like Mike, you have the game open, don't you? I do yeah. not. I give you my word. No, Rich. Rich doesn't. But Mike, but you have it open. Okay. So who won that game for Atlanta? Uh, who won the Mike game? Stanton. Yes. Mike Stanton won the game in relief. Yes. Atlanta scored two. Uh, Mike, do you points. have do, do you have any what? random trivia question? Do you have any random trivia question you want to come up for uh, from this game? From this game, all right. See, see what you can come up with. It's a little, little a messy in podcast improv, improvisation. You know what? Instead of a trivia question, I, I I would I would like to venture into a discussion about Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent played second okay. base for us that season. Is he considered one who got away? How do you look back on Jeff Kent? Um, I will say that if you're not comfortable in the setting, even though he, he seemed to fit in in San Francisco and maybe New York helped him get ready for San Francisco, San Francisco is a pretty big town, but it's not New York even if it has kind of a, a West Coast New York feel. So I, I would say no in that he, it, it, the, the personality and everything just might not have, have uh, uh, fit with the New York Mets, as many don't. Now, Rich, I'm going to put a little twist on this for you, and then I'll throw everything back to you, Sam. Regarding Jeff Kent, 1993, he drives in 80 runs. He's a second baseman. Probably not your prototypical second baseman, but a second baseman nonetheless. We grew up in an era where if a second baseman did that, that was big. That was that was a big thing. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I remember Jeff Kent came up when the Mets got him. The reputation was solid bat, weak with weak in the field. But the degree to which he became a solid bat was not anticipated. I mean, it was like you know, kind of a hard hitting, defensively challenged second baseman. Okay. But then, you know, but then you have the 80 RBIs in 93. Then he starts hitting all those home runs in 94. And, um, but, you know, apparently it was a personality issue. He's kind of tough to get along with and, you know, kind of like a unique kind of a cat. And they decided it was time to move on. And in typical Mets fashion, 
they got an aging Carlos Baerga for him, right? And um, and Baerga, you know, again, he, switch hitter, you had reason to believe that he would come to the National League and do well, but he just did not do it as a Met. You know, he's, I believe he was in his early to mid-30s at the time, and it just didn't work out. And Jeff Kent goes ahead and uh, and just his trajectory was just incredible, you know, once he left the Mets. There were signs of it, like I said, there were signs of it on the horizon. You know, I like, remember like Justin Turner. I would say, though, that, like, Jeff Kent was a better player as a Met, right, than Justin Turner was. Yeah, Justin yeah. Turner was exclusively really, you know, just a great bench piece. He was a journeyman, right. Jeff Kent was a solid second baseman who was getting better defensively, and the offense, while expected, was turning out to be better than expected. And I, Mike, unless you see it differently, Sam, unless you see it differently, it, everything I've heard about the Kent trade was that he was traded based on personality, that he was, you know, he was uh, right. round peg in a square hole in New York and with this team, and so they just wanted to get him out, got what they could for him, and they got burned. That's what it comes down to. That, that's the way so I we mean. actually have a caller on the line. Uh, we have a, a, a 914 area code. How are you doing? You're on a, a Metsian podcast. Hey, how are you guys doing? Um, it's me, Is Gary. this uh, L.I. Mike? I I'm Max. I've I've came. Oh, Max! What's times. going on, Max? Hey. Um, say hey. Say listen, 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 Max. I just need to say on a personal level that um, you're calling on Father's Day. You don't always call, but sometimes you do. And today you're calling on Father's Day, and my dad's name was Max. I am Sam Maxwell, and my dad's nickname from Vietnam was Max. So I and he only went yeah. by that really. So appreciate yeah, you I calling. Thank you so much. I believe that he he must have given you a hint somehow. Tapped you on the shoulder. And as luck would have it, my dad's name is Sam. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, well, that's anyway. that's great. We'll we'll have to elaborate. You know, uh, Max. Uh, I'm going to ask you another question in a second because I don't think we've really ever elaborated every time you've called. Uh, but right now, first, what would you like to say before I ask you a question? So here, I just had a question for you guys. So I've been hearing talk of expanded playoffs, which, in my opinion, is just like, well, I do the idea that, you know, the Mets would have been in the playoffs this year and, like, 60 other times or whatever. I, I like the wild card game. I like that one game showdown. I like that, you know, big, intense you know, game and then like a three game and I'll see but like I feel like basketball, you know, they have too many teams in their in their playoffs and I feel like an expanded playoffs would kind of ruin it. And like in addition it would make it um a little odd um in terms of uh, the, the World Series winner because of you know, like what if like an eight seed got into the the World Series, like I would have been weird. Like in that case I can't I don't remember who was in the. I can actually. I can look at the standings, but it would have been a team similar to the. To the Mets. I, I forget the exact team, but I was. Hey Max, Max, I think you're. I think you're putting your mouth against the microphone, Max. Oh. Uh, sorry. Can. No, no, it's okay. It's just a little muffled right now. Yeah, it's just a little muffled. No, it's still, it's too faded. I'm I'm sorry, man. Uh, but um, try again. Um, 
There you go. Uh, this is speaker, but I I don't know if that's better. Well, I, I, to answer your question though, uh, Max, and we we appreciate it uh, from my perspective, and then I'll pass it on to the other guys. And don't you go anywhere, Max. Um, I I I think I agree with you about that one game. Um, but I do think uh, there is something to be said about the way they used to deal with ties when it was just a pennant winner uh, that they were dealing with, and it was a, a three-game set. I don't think that would be terrible to consider, which means that if you win two in a row, you don't play the third game. Uh, so I don't think that would be terrible to think about the wild card, especially when sometimes you do get these potential in- incidences uh, where – the the first wild card team is seven games above the other wild card, so you at least give it a little bit where uh, it, it might just even the playing field out a little bit more. I wouldn't be uh, averse to a a three game wild card. Uh, Mike, if you want to take it next. Max, I, I will address your question you posed on Twitter earlier today about uh, what does it mean to file a grievance. Very simply, the terms of the relationship between Major League Baseball players and the ownership group are collectively bargained. That means that both sides have a party. They sit down at a table and work out every aspect of their working relationship. Rules, regulations, protocol, codes of conduct, do's and don'ts, you name it. It's in this agreement. And when they finally reach an, you know, set agreement, both sides sign. And it's always for, you know, X amount of years. In a good year, they'll sign a five-year agreement or, you know, a rather lengthy agreement. In more, uh, you know, haranguing times, they'll sign a, a shorter-term agreement. Uh, so all the rules are contained in this contract between the union and the players. Whenever the union feels that that contract is being circumvented or violated, the grievance procedure is a formality, is a a form of arbitration where union representatives and ownership representatives, again, will just say sit at a table and debate and argue and ultimately reconcile the matter one way or another. But it it all has everything to do with the contract language. So if the union feels that the contract language has been violated, circumvented, etc., like like I said, then they file a formal grievance, and then they have to sit that grievance and come to some kind of reconciliation over said matter. It's a formality uh, and that stands true for almost every union slash company relationship and that's how grievances are handled. Otherwise, once that agreement is signed, all the rules are in place and the players and organizations must abide, abide by that contract. I hope that answers your question. Well, unfortunately, uh, we lost Max. Um, and Max, if you're still listening out there uh, to this particular segment right now, please call back. I tried to get you back uh, on my own uh, uh, merging calls, but unfortunately, 
uh, it, I was not able to. So if you're listening, please call back. I just had one more follow-up question for you. Uh, but, Rich, if you wanted to go ahead with Max's question. Well, about the expanded playoffs, you know, I'm for it this year because, let's face it, assuming they have a season of, we'll call it 60 games, you're going to have to violate all the rules anyway. And why not try to have whatever championship happens be as legitimate as possible? You you can't really use 60 games to ferret out a lot of teams. So you ferret out 14, you have 16 teams in the in the tournament, essentially, and then you play off from there. I think that makes sense in a shortened season, in a season that will be shortened by essentially two-thirds. I think that does make sense. I'll flip that logic around, though, because if you go back to 162-game season, you cannot pass the red face test, in my opinion, by saying you're going to play 162 games to eliminate less than half the teams, you know, 16 to eliminate or just about half the teams to eliminate uh, 14 of 30 teams. So that doesn't make sense to me in a full season. Um, so I think it's a, it's a situational answer. You know, I think in a short season, a very short season like this one could be, yes, by all means, expand the playoffs, give more teams a chance, and let's have some fun with it because it certainly hasn't been fun up to now. But I, I don't think you could ever go to a 16-game postseason and a 162-game regular season. It, it would really invalidate. You know, people say baseball season is too long anyway. It would completely invalidate the 162-game season, in my opinion. I think you have to go back to a, a more normal. If you want to add a wild card team and or do a best two out of three, okay, fine. But expanding the number of teams that make it like that, no, I, I can't do it. Yeah, Sam, if I can regarding the playoffs, and insofar as this year is concerned, you know, as a, as a fan of the Winter Leagues and, and watching round-robin tournaments in action, you know, and, and short-season type affairs, uh, that would be fun if they adopted a, round, a round-robin format. You know, that's something we could probably wrap our head around. Uh, otherwise, we know the season's going to be compromised. So I'm open to all suggestions this season. But I'm with Rich, you know. I don't want anything bleeding over into the next, into next year and, and, and beyond. Yeah, uh, Max, I believe we have you back. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Like, I don't know why. No, it's okay. I just, yeah, I think maybe like there's like a, like there's no service in my house, and I only do it by the Wi-Fi, and then the Wi-Fi cuts out because everyone's using it in my family. And, <laughs> Anyway, well, uh, well I'm glad I'm glad to have you back. So my question for you was, since you've always asked us questions, my question for you is if you could give our listeners uh, as well as us a little bit of, of background on your Mets history. I may have asked this uh, to you a long time ago, but just in case I haven't, uh, I was wondering if you could go into your own personal history and your baseball history as well. Well, um, I would actually. I mean. I can talk for myself, but, you know, the origins of my story starts with my dad's story. It's appropriate to tell this story on Father's Day. My dad lived in Brooklyn from when he was, he was very young. And then he, when the Mets moved, he was, he was, he did his, I think his, he, he, his family lived in like Poland and, you know, they were Dodgers fans. Like they guessed they were Dodgers fans. Like they didn't really, uh, oh wait, not Poland. Sorry. Romania. Sorry about that. Romania. We were from Romania, and they moved to Pol. They moved to America in the in the, I think it was the 40s or like like, 
yeah, it was like the it was, they moved to America in the forties, and you know they supported the Dodgers. They really know a lot about it. But uh, when my dad became a teenager, uh, teenager in the fifties, like he he um, you know he started to no 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 sorry. My dad was born in the 15th. And is that your dad around right now? Is your dad, is your dad here? Is he right next yeah, to you? Yeah, I think, I think he's... Get, get him on the phone. There. Get him on the phone. Go ahead and get him on the phone. Find him and get him on the phone. No, no, <laughs> let me tell the story. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. He's born no, but it's not, it's not you. We, we certainly want to hear from him one way or the other, but continue telling that story. Anyway, anyway. So, so... He, they were Dodgers fans, and then the Dodgers moved away, and they were kind of sad. And then in 1960, um, I think tell, tell them to join the line. Tell them to get on the line. We hear them in the background. They have something no, to say. Get it. No, 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 on the, the call. Sister. Wait, no, no. Just listen. Just listen. Just listen. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. So when the Mets, so he moved to Queens the years. The Mets moved to Queens, and then he rode his bike to to Shea Stadium, and he always loved to watch the games. And he saw the you know, great catch, and he saw he saw he was he was a teenager. He rode he rode his bike to Shea Stadium, and he didn't you know he got the tickets from the old people who didn't who left the game early because the Mets sucked until '69, <laughs> and he and and he and he went to the games. So, okay. so, so, so how old was he in 1964? What year was he born? Uh, he was, I think he was born in like 52. So that, so. 52, okay. So he was 12 so, years old. Yeah. But, you know, his dad was very lenient. He let him ride around his bike and, you know, he went, he, he rode to um, Shea Stadium. Anyway, my story. So I think I was just, always I was always a fan of sports in general. I always liked sports. I was um you know, I went to the two thousand six um NLCS. I was at a game. I don't remember it, but I was at a game. I always went to City Field. And then I, you know, in middle school I was I liked I liked football and I liked you know, I vaguely followed basketball and I I think I uh, my first video games were um MLB the show and uh, 2K for 15 or 16, or maybe, no, it was 17, and then I got Madden 17. And I played those games, and I, you know, I liked football, again, football, basketball, whenever the season was, I played that game. Um, and I sort of didn't, I sort of just liked each sport equally. I followed each sport equally. I played each sport equally. However, once I got older to a teenager, probably around, it was the off season after it was the off season after the 2018 season. I realized so I, I was I was very active in the 2015 World Series. I you know I, I remember everything about it and I, I I remember watching it and recording it and everything. Um, I, I went to the NLCS game um, against the Cubs. I think it was the first or second game. And I and I I think it was after the 2018 season, um, the Mets 2018 season. I'm like, wow, like, no, sorry, it was before the 2018 season, after the 2017 season, and I was like, wait a second, not a lot of my friends like baseball. This is so weird. I thought I thought everyone liked baseball, and then I was sort of like, you know, I think baseball's popularity is not that big. 
And it was just this huge revelation. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I need to be a pioneer. I need to be a active young person following baseball. Um, I, I want well, to... That's, it's, it's amazing. You, you know, um, I... I I think your story is fantastic to hear about, and your dad's story is also fantastic. The roots continue, um, and and you do do you are you aware, Max, of my uh, uh, shameless plug, uh, uh, my aspirations for an HBO style TV series about Brooklyn and the Dodgers? Wait, sorry, say that again. I said, are you aware of my aspirations to make an HBO style TV series about Brooklyn and the Dodgers? Oh, I, I I didn't. Wait, is this Sam? Yes, this is. Yeah, so <laughs> I I saw in your I saw in your bio that uh, you're a filmmaker and a screenwriter. It really intrigued me because I'm also into that too. I want to make oh, I want to make a movie about um, the Wilmer Flores uh, uh, night, just like the every Flores single story. about. Like just just that like one night and then the walk off would be the last scene. I think just like a huge, mm. wonderful mood, just Sandy Alderson, like the Brewers GM, like Flores, the teammates, Terry Collins, the, the media, Joel Sherman, everyone, like, you know, having each of those aspects depicted in just that hour, hour and hour and a half time frame would just yeah. be the most, like, you know, would be up there with Moneyball. But I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, going... Well, how, how old are you, Max? I have talked with some friends. Hi, I'm uh, 17. 17. Well, well, you have a long way to go, and we'll certainly talk uh, off air at some point about all of this together, and, and I'll send you the links via um, uh, of the, the, the other podcast that I do via Twitter, and we'll make sure to hook up, okay? And, and I would love to, at some point, interview your dad on the podcast, the other podcast, about his experience growing up in Brooklyn and being a Dodgers fan. Yeah, yeah, I I think yeah that would be fun too. Um, hey, Sam. Yes, please, Mike. Max, hold the line. I I think it's very important that you're actually with us today and that you're 17. You know, uh, you can consider me an old fogey as well as somebody else on this line. If Sam's a little younger than us, but you are definitely representative of an entirely di- different generation than mine. I'm Gen X. Uh, you're considered Gen Z, correct? Yes. All right. Your opinion on the present labor strife between the players and, own- and owners? Oh, that's you it. want to hear? That's my question. Your oh, opinion my... on the present labor strife between the players and owners? Well, I think that it's very um I think that I think that both sides are being greedy. I think, you know, this is just like any kind of like rich people ordeal. Like, you know, everyone's gonna be greedy, everyone wants more than what they should want. Um wait, one second. Just give me a second. Absolutely. <laughs> and in the meantime, Sam Rich no, really, I think the question is important because, yes. you know, Rich, you and I, we've been through decades of having to deal uh, in a structured 
systems of, you know, management, employees, this, that, and the other. So we're probably, you know, our, our opinions of this might be somewhat polluted by our life experience and just having been around all this time. He's fresh. He hasn't gone through the, the meat grinder yet. He's only 17. Yeah. And that's why I think his his opinion is important here. Hey, guys. So I only have five minutes, more minutes. I, I'm doing something with my that's family. That's fine. So, so I, I, I'll, let me just say my opinion, and um, I, I'll, I can talk about some other, uh, the other thing. Um, I think that the, the, the fact that the owners want, like, so much, they get so mad so easily, I find that, you know, personally, like, like offensive, like you're an owner for a baseball team. This isn't this isn't like a business. This is a business, but it's baseball. It's a sport. You know, play, let's play the sport. You know, like it, you should. You I people shouldn't get so offended. I saw like Tony Clark saying like like it offends me that Rob Manfred said this and this and that, right? But like you know, those are words. Those aren't you know, like just like just like forget about it. It's it, you know, Rob Manfred can be the big dummy and no no one will care. And you you are the one in charge of it. You, you make a deal. Don't 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 hate on your don't hate on the person that you're trying to make a deal with. Like that's that's so dumb. It's like you know, just be nice. You know, would say whatever. Like. You know, if you want to criticize Manfred, do it to your friends. It's not an official MLBPA statement. And, you know, be, you know, just, um, and, you know, not, the thing is, not all the players are millionaires. All the, all the, all the owners are millionaires and billionaires. It's just that simple. They want their money and they need, and especially the minor leaguers, they need their money to, you know, like a lot of minor league players, they're, you know, even the one that was in the the the, the playoffs and with the, I think it was like the Twins. Like you know, they yelled Uber, but that was a serious thing. Like he had to drive an Uber to 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 make a living, and he was playing in the minor league system. It's, I think it's you know, I think players need all the money they can, especially the ones that don't make a lot. And in addition, they you know, if you're going to represent baseball in any way as a player as an owner as a GM manager whatever you should be advocating for 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 as many games as possible and you shouldn't try to criticize the people that you're trying to make a deal with and you shouldn't hate on the people that you're trying to make a deal with on the on the baseball expanded thing and after this I have to go I think it would be terrible to have an expanded playoffs. I think the wild card game is the most fun thing in baseball. I love it. I always, even if my teams aren't playing the wild card game, I always watch it. It's just a, a thrill. Like you know, like the, I think the the Blue Jays were were, like I I loved watching that Blue Jays uh, wild card game and and they were it was just all so it was just. <laughs> <laughs> my, okay, my father just told me that he totally disagrees <laughs> with me about the wild card. <laughs> so, 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 what is your father's name? Can we hear from him real quick? Sorry, he disagrees about the owner versus player thing. Tell him to come on over. Tell him to come on over. Come on over. Put him on speaker. Tell him to come on over. In March, nobody knew in March when they made the deal of prorated games and every, which, was, which was a great deal for everybody, that there weren't going to be any, any fans or any concessions. That is a very, very big loss to the ball clubs. 
It's about a third of the, two-thirds of their revenue. There's a third, two-thirds of their revenue is gone. Therefore, this one year, there should be sort of a progressive tax. I agree with Max about the minor league players and the first-year players uh, making maybe $500,000 a year. Although $500,000 a year starting salary is not so bad for, for uh, kids that are coming out of college. So I, I think that, um, so I think really that the, there should be a progressive tax. So as much as I love Jake and I really love him, the fact that he's making $11 million, yeah, he could, thir- I'm sorry, how many this th- year? It's like 30 something million dollars. Each year. <laughs> so, so if he's making 31, he could give up a few million dollars, I think. I think that the owners, when they're going to, when they're, you know, I, I listen, owners are, listen, owners are billionaires, and I understand that. And uh, not everybody, because I think that the Wilpons are really hurting, but that's a different story. But the thing is that, that baseball players, especially the wealthy players and the, mo- the people that are getting a lot of money, could contribute to that two-thirds loss of the club's revenue. They could. They could. Um, but for the record, I agree that the millionaire players should, should should give up some of their salary. I don't think that, yeah, anyway, that's my dad. <laughs> anyway. Um, what, what was your, what's your dad's name? I, I, uh, what's your name? Sam Cohn. I grew up in uh, right on uh, 108th Street and the Long Island Expressway. I used to ride my bike to Shea since 1964 when I was about 10 years old and my parents then let me ride my bike uh, to Shea. I used to park my bike out of Shea. Um, I've been a Mets fan since Did at I least 1964. Uh, since at least 1964. Um, even though 63, I kind of like followed the Mets, but they weren't in my neighborhood. They were still in the polo grounds. But, um, but the, point is, uh, the point is that I'm a diehard Mets fan all the way back. Um, and um, I used to, I watched the 1969 series from the subway platform because I came there, I cut school in, um, in, in uh, I, I came there at 9 a.m. with my bike. In the old days, yeah. the, the place where you put, you know, your token, your subway token was upstairs in the subway. You were able to get up to the platform and right field and Ron Swoboda was my favorite player. So, so um, I go way back, and I think that, you know, Ron Swoboda or, 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 or Ed Cranepool, who we met, by the way, last year at spring training, um, did not make $31 million. But, <laughs> so right. I, think, I think the players should, should, should give a little bit. All right, anyway. Here's well, Sam, Sam, but hold on. Before you go, Sam, I, I just need to tell you, uh, that uh, it, as I told Max at the beginning of this, my name is Sam Maxwell. My dad went by Max, and your name is Sam. As Max uh, re, uh, let us know at the beginning of this, I really truly believe, and, and I, I'm going to get in touch with you about your Brooklyn roots as well. Max will inform you on that. Um, uh, but but understand that that I believe because I'm a spiritual man that my dad, God rest his soul. On this Father's Day, Max doesn't always call in. He sometimes does, but he doesn't always. And he called in on Father's Day, and he, he not only uh, brought his story, but he brought your story here. And I appreciate that, and I, I thank you both for calling in tonight. Great, Happy great. Father's Day, Sam. And, Max li- and Sam Maxwell likes to write films, oh, likes wow. to make films. Okay, great. Great. Okay, so wait. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so um, my my last point it was the wild card game, right? I love the wild card game, and I think it's the best thing that's ever happened to baseball. And I really don't want to see it go. I really don't want expanded playoffs. I totally agree uh, with the person that said um, that that it just takes away from the whole like you know like did you earn it like you know. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, whether you play, I, I don't think that the amount of games, 60, 162 versus 60 makes any kind of difference in terms of, um, like, like in terms of the, the, el- the eligibility of playoffs. Obviously, if there, if we played 60 games in 2019, the Nationals would have definitely not been in the playoffs. However, it's still it's still what we have. It's still what we got. It's you know we we can't play into October, right? The the even I you know like I think that it's the most important thing to keep the wild card game to keep. Um, and as for the DH, I you know at first I was like, no, oh my God, DH, no, I love I love like you know like pitchers breaking. But when I look at the the other side of it, like, we have three DH candidates, like Dom Smith, Robinson Cano, and Joanna Cespedes, all of whom are great players. And I really, I would really, while I do love pitchers batting, and I think, you know, as a pitcher, it's, it's actually beneficial not to have a DH because then you get one extra guy who you don't have to – who you get a little break from, so it's a little easier to, you know, pitch to him, so you don't have to like, you know, like with a DH, with with a DH, you have nine players, you have to give your all to, but with you know, with with a with a pitcher at bat, you just throw fastball, 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 and they're out, right? But like, not always, but, right? As we know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Max, Max, uh, you know, it, it is. It's just really awesome hearing you talk baseball for you know. But as we were talking before, it's it's been hard to talk baseball. We're missing it extremely, and we appreciate you bringing that and also bringing your father here on Father's Day. Happy Father's yeah. Day to your father, and happy Father's Day to you. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. I will definitely be listening to the replay of the podcast to to hear what you guys have to say about this. But unfortunately, I have to go right now. Um, so get out of here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Max, we appreciate we appreciate it, and and have a great night. All right. Okay, you guys too. See ya. Bye. See ya, man. And I didn't mean any. I, I didn't mean that in any rude level, Max. When you listen to this later, we <laughs> greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know, we have about 15 minutes left in the show. Um, it and this is what what it's all about. Whether it's fathers and daughters or whether it's fathers and sons, guys. This is this is why we want this game back because we miss it. And and it's what you know. I'll keep shameless plugging all day long, but it's the human story that I'm trying to bring to sports that sometimes might get lost on people that don't really care too much for it. And whether it's the fans, whether it's the players, whether it's the owners and the, the executives in between, uh, there are a lot of stories to be told. And I don't think enough have been told. Um, so this is the way you get baseball going again, is bringing back the human element somehow, some way. And, guys, before we segue to uh, 58, 
I just wanted to wrap up with that game that we were talking about that took place on this date in 1994, another labor strike year, uh, without necessarily uh, the, the uh, uh, pandemic as the background. But I, I will ask you, Rich, um, I'm not sure if you've looked at it since, but I will ask you, how do you think the Mets lost this game? Oh, God. Um, no, I haven't looked. Um, how did they lose? They lost it late, so 94. I'm going to say John Franco coughed it up. Air, which would have been the last out by Bobby Bonilla, which they would have won 3-2, to two, which opened the floodgates with John Franco on the, uh, up there. For Roberto Kelly to single to left field to tie the game, and then Fred McGriff to win it with a single to left field as well. So that's how that game ended. <laughs> you're 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 a prophet. <laughs> you you certainly see see you you're the baseball reference guru. Uh, with you see the website without actually being on it. Um, no, ladies no. and gentlemen, we are going to go to our uh, number uh, uh, section, uh, and it corresponds with number 58. This is our official episode today. Uh, unless you guys have anything else to say specifically about that game, it sounded like maybe, Mike, did you want to say something? Fred McGriff belongs in the Hall of Fame. That is all. There you go, Rich. I have one thing to add. Um, because it's Father's Day, we have to mention the Jim Bunning perfect game. It, it happened to be June 21st that year. You know, Father's Day was June 21st, in 1964. Mm-hmm. And it was the same year we were just talking about, huh? Yeah, one thing I did not know is that, and I listened to Howie Rose and Susan Waldman did four hours this morning, which was, you know, it's all baseball. It was really good. And the thing I did not know is it happened on Father's Day, Jim Bunning, we all knew that, but did you know that Jim Bunning at the time had seven kids? So there you go. There's a guy who was a father seven times (laughs) over, goes out there on Father's Day and pitches the perfect game, and it was his second of his career. Um, uh, Second no-hitter. And speaking of a... And speaking of a, 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 um, a, a, the representatives, the Congress people, he was not one uh, correct. He was one correct at the end of his life. In Kentucky, I believe. Yes, he was a congressman. Right. There you go, and it comes all the way back around. Um, Mike, do you have anything to respond regarding the, the game? No, it's a great call by by Rich. Uh, yeah, was a perfect game, man. Super stuff, Hall of Famer. Now, this, this list, uh, even on the uh, Ultimate Mets database, is only seven uh, names long here. Um, you guys can, can you guys talk to Louis Rosado? Do you remember anything about the guy who wore 58? Probably a, a call-up, I'm guessing. Mike? I'm drawing a blank on that one. I really am. Uh, and I'm usually good uh, with the dark age years. Uh Unfortunately, you just you know uh, I'm looking at it, but I, I just don't recall him. Really. So can I can I tell you? Looking at it, he uh, got 24 at bats in 1977 with the uniform number 35. With the uniform number 58, he played two games, four at bats, no runs, and it zeros across the board except for one place, one strikeout. So <laughs> if he played in 77, which he did, he played nine games, I think I still would have remembered that, but I just have no recollection of it. Nor do I. I, I nor do I. You know, and I, I'm usually pretty good going back to that era, that, like Mike said, the dark ages, because I was probably, 
you know, one of 15 people who watched every game back then. But <laughs> right. I have no recollection of him at all. So looking up on this list, I mean, you have some <laughs> – it really doesn't – unfortunately, you might have to give this number to Henry Mejia. Uh, and this is what happens as you get deeper into these numbers, of course. Um, but looking at it, we have Sandy Alomar, uh, who is it's, – it's probably the um, – the, old, the elder Sandy Alomar. Actually, it might not be the elder Sandy Alomar, come to think of it. Um, no, it's the junior. Uh, he wore 58 in 2008 as a coach. Uh, and oh, where did I go with this? Oh, shoot. Oh, there it is. Um, and then Ken, oh, I mean, this really, it doesn't happen. Nobody wears 58 guys until 2006. And then you have a few hits with it, Sandy Alomar. Ken Obertfell was another coach. But when you look at this, I mean, this is really the Henry Mejia, Josh Smoker, and give a nod to Dave Island, who just didn't work out here. Uh, that, that's, that's the list. And Henry Mejia is the most successful on this list. And unfortunately, his, his era is tarnished. Which, uh, if you want to start with that. Or go ahead, Mike. Henry Mejia, you know... He, I, I, I believe he and Jerry Familia were born a day apart in the same town. And they came up through the system like brothers. And there was a moment there, us Met fans thought, back in, in, in the early 2010s, that these two guys were going to be promoted together and they were going to be something special. This is even before Matt Harvey was anybody as far as we understood. The two names that we were clinging to were Henry Mejia and Jerry's familiar. Well, we know how each of their careers played out. But uh remember back to the early twenty tens. That's what we were that's what we were thinking. And in fact that's right around the time when the three of us were on Rising Apple, shout out to them. And and he was I think, you know, Top three of topical conversations. Yeah, that that is for sure, um, and certainly more than the next man on a, on on our list, Rich Josh Smoker. But uh, he wasn't. In, I think even Josh Smoker was a little bit intriguing. And then I'll pass it on to you to talk about both players. Uh, um, and and he only wore it for uh, one month in 2016, but. Josh Smoker, I really thought he could, you know, he's just one of those players that, that keeps trying to make it with different organizations, uh, and it just never stuck. And you wonder why. You know, you look at his 2017, talk about the dark age right for the Mets, but um, you, know, you look at his, his career with the Mets, he had 71.2, so one and two-thirds innings pitched, 93 strikeouts. Hmm. What's wrong with that? Not a lot wrong with that. You know, I mean, you would think that if a guy could strike out essentially, uh, well, kind of like, you know, 1.2 batters per inning, that there would be, okay, look, you know, maybe he's wild and his ERA is quite high, you know, 470 and 511 for overall as a Met 502. All right, so obviously there's something wrong. He's not uh, the next coming of Mariano Rivera. But with that kind of a strikeout percentage, you would think that the Mets would say, look, there's something here. You know, let's work with this guy. Let's see what we can do with him. But he just, he was, he came and he went. 
And I know he was with another organization at one point. I don't remember who. It doesn't say here. These are just what they did as a Met. But um, and he's, I think maybe Detroit. And um, he didn't really stick there either. So a guy who threw hard, you know, a guy you heard a lot about when he was in the minor leagues, uh, left-handed, reliever, throwing hard. How, those don't grow on trees. But for some reason, you know, he just, um, like you said, he's never stuck. Great stuff, evidenced by the strikeouts, but the peripheral stuff just wasn't there, I suppose. And the thing about Mejia, I agree with Mike, you know, um, Mejia and Familia. You know, I remember back, uh, oh, God, 20, 2013 maybe when, when Familia came up, thinking that Familia should be the closer and not Mejia. Um, Mejia was the closer at the time. And he, he was doing you – know, he had his histrionics on the mound, but, but he was doing a decent job, you know, 28 saves in, nine, in a 2014. Uh, but I always thought Familia was the better of the two, just based on you know, throwing the heavy sinker and all that. Uh, but Mejia was fun to watch. You know, he was animated, and uh, when he would save a game, it would be kind of fun. And um, I guess Mejia's biggest mark is the fact that he's challenging the reentry role. You know, he was a victim of the three strikes and you're out thing, and um, and he's appealed, and he, you know, he's trying to make his way back into baseball. And I, am I wrong in saying that his appeal was at one point heard? I'll look it up right now. And he in the Red Sox organization. Is that right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so he's probably most most familiar for that, you know, because, um, well, he had, you know, a decent short run with the Mets. He really was the first one that I know of who was reinstated after the three-strike rule. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, short list. Yeah, and Mike, Dave Island, you know, he came here with a lot of accolades, and it just didn't work out. No. You know, uh, Sandy Alderson hired him, and obviously Albert the Olden with the new. So, uh, you know, trying to qualify a starting, uh, excuse me, a pitching coach, that's a tough thing. It, it, it really is a tough thing. You know, we form opinions about them, but you just never know. You just never know. Uh, like I said, I, I think the biggest thing going there was out with the old and with the new. That's all. Yeah, uh, it, it seems like it. Um, and you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I, I, oh yeah, that's right, Jeremy Hefner is supposed to currently be our pitching coach. Imagine in an alternate universe, we are praising the work he is doing with the, the fire, the fire hurlers of the New York Mets. And uh, it's June 21st. It's Father's Day. Um, and and I, I believe as we uh, come to the end of a Metsian podcast, and uh, we're so thankful that you've been listening to a Metsian podcast. Thank you so much. I, I Rich, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, talk about Father's Day 2013, speaking of 2013, and it kind of became infamous because of Bob Costas saying that the, uh, the I forget exactly what the, 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 tight, the thing that he said about the celebration, but I remember the Mets were so down and out, and they were a much better ball team after that. Yeah, that was the Kirk Newenheist home run. The Mets were down 3 nothing going to the bottom of the ninth. They scored a run and two on, two out. New and I sit one off the facing of the uh, the upper deck, and you know bounced back on the field. And Costas, he said something to the effect of, you know, um, that's what's wrong with sports or something. That's what's wrong with baseball. He said, you know, in a, in a jeering kind of a way, but um, but about the celebration at home plate. But I don't know what his angle was on that because I don't care if you're if you're you know 25 and 55. 
If somebody hits a walk-off home run at the bottom of the ninth, they get pounded at the plate. That's what happens. That celebration was no different than any other. And you're right. You know, the next day the Mets went to Atlanta. If you remember, the next day they had that four-hour, three-hour rain delay at the beginning of the game. They ended up letting Dylan G go into the bottom of the ninth with the lead. And Freddie Freeman hit a two-run home run to beat him in the bottom of the ninth at about 1.30 in the morning. And then the next night was the big night when uh, Harvey and Wheeler, as Wheeler's debut, Harvey and Wheeler pitched back-to-back doubleheader, the two ends of the doubleheader, and then that swept the doubleheader. So, so yeah, that really was the beginning of the turnaround because a lot of people point to that doubleheader as the beginning of the turnaround for the Mets when you started to see a glimmer of hope. So, yeah, good call on that. And, uh, Mike, I'm going to go to you first for the last word. Uh, and by all means, if you want to uh, chime in on, on Kirk Newenice as well, um, it, it's, you know, here we are. Uh, what's on your mind on this Father's <laughs> Day? Nice guy. But I'd rather take a poke at Bob Costa. Reminding me a lot of Howard Cosell in his old age. Anyway, last word. Uh I'm going to steal something from Rich when he talks about, you know, the adult in the room. Uh, I'm just going to say it a different way and and word it this way. Grow up. Grow up. Strike a deal. We'll call it off. But this must stop. And I'll end it there, Sam. Thank you, Rich. Well, I'm going to do something very similar. Um, I'm going to say my last phrase is going to be eye on the prize. And what's the prize? The prize is striking a deal. And in the, uh, I believe it was the Buster Only article I sent to you guys, he made a great point. He said, are Tony Clark and Rob Manfred, and, and by extension their constituency, are they trying to make a deal or are they trying to make a point? And I'm sorry, I know we're not in the room and I know we're speculating. Yes, we are. But every piece of evidence points to the fact that they are trying to make a point both sides, not trying to make a deal. They're trying to beat the other side. They're trying to make their point. And let's stop that, and and can we just try to make a deal and see the bigger picture? Yeah, and and that's basically where I am with it, you know, Uh, just just make a deal. Um, My final word is, Somehow, some way, show us you can get this done, even if you don't end up playing baseball because of of everything going on. Right now, you need to clear this whole labor strife up because there should have been a deal a long time ago. Um, and that's really that's really it. Get a deal done, regardless of what's going on with the health perspective. Get a deal done, and then iron out. Uh, even more the, the kinks in terms of the medicals. Maybe that, I understand that that stuff has to probably be collectively bargained as well, but there's something got to give here somehow, some way. Uh, so get a deal done. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to a Met Team podcast. Uh, we so greatly appreciate it on this Father's Day, and a happy Father's Day to you and yours. We appreciate it, and Rich, there's only one way we can end this show, and hopefully we, we're saying it to the uh, the team soon. By all means, let's please. Say let's say it for real. Let's go Mets. Let's, let's go, go Mets. Mets. Come on, everybody. Have a great one. Take care. Happy Father's Day. <laughs>